0: Father, thank you for the opportunity to be your conduit yet again, Father. Breath and grace me with this waking hour and the time, Father God. Thank you for this day. Guide us, Father, your Holy Spirit. Guide our steps. Guard our tongues. Fill our hearts. Abhiyahweyaman. Aman. Ashua. So, some things. More things. More things. This world is so broken and chiseled and crumbling and dark, but we have to hold on to something. Have to hold on to something. What is that something? Is something is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because He came. He came for me. He came for you, and whoever else would hear, listen, and believe. And why was that done? It was done because of absolute, pure love. And one of my, one of the materials, my, from a teacher. This is a beautiful thing here. Reading through this, it's um. It's uh, He calls it the mathematical equation of love. But not just any love, but the love of God. And it would be, it's even difficult when you sit and ponder it for a moment. And if you do it without spiritual hearing, and I say, you just will say that's not possible. Well, it is possible, and it happened. My faith tells me it happened, and I believe that it did happen. And I believe everything that is in this book, the Bible, his word, his truth, and provides a knowledge and wisdom, and it's it's a treasure house, an absolute treasure house of God and sharing his gems, the precious minerals and the things that he has in there and he allows me to go in every single day empty shelves bring it out and share it and yet the shelf is refilled The information in this word. In his storehouse, in his blessings house. If you want to say the blessings are stored up. All of those. They're infinite. He does not run out of resources to share with us that. And here's. Here's, I'm going to share that. I I think it's very interesting. For here's the equation infinity 10, 2, 1. And the T2 is TWO as in the number. Don't try to write it down as as an actual mathematical equation and figure it out although you can, infinity, 10, 2, 1. That's pretty awesome. I love the way you said it, though, is that, and you can only imagine this love of that God, because our minds are so finite, and we try to always, always figure things out with this finite mind. Our understanding only goes so far. You like to think, even geniuses, Einstein, Newton, and some here. You have members of, uh, actually a lot of people don't know this, but uh, the actress Gina Davis had an IQ of 190 and she was actually a member of Mensa. Some might not know what that is. That's a society of highly intellectual individuals and I can only imagine what their coffee... Shop talk is, but I can, I kind of look back, I'm not a genius or anything like that, but I had <clears throat> some really bright acquaintances and, and a friend, and we used to sit at the coffee house and go out on the patio so we wouldn't frighten people because some of the things that we talked about. We were talking about things like teleportation, quantum physics, and the, the development of, uh, of wormhole technology and things like that, we were actually discussing in-depth these things that go on. That doesn't make me a brilliant mind. It just makes me that God allowed me to understand this and that for some reason he had me in this circle. Possibly it's because of this very thing, talking about this thing and, and knowing how finite our minds really, truly are. Stop trying to apply our finite thinking to God's infinite knowledge, thoughts, wisdom, and love. This is where people go. Well, how could he do that? How could he do? Stop applying our physics to God because it doesn't conform to his plane of existence. Do you not understand that? Listen to what I'm saying. Our finite thoughts, ideas, and ways do not conform to God's ways, thoughts. It doesn't. And he tells us that in the Bible. For my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than yours. But that doesn't mean that he does not love us. Infinitely. Infinitely. The biblical equation, as uh, my teacher is sharing, is uh, one of my favorite pastors, by the way. I've shared that with you before. It's a biblical equation for God's love. Infinity, Infinity 10 to 1 equals God's love. God's love is limitless boundless, bottomless, depthless. There's no depth. And that is the love of the eternal God. First John 4, 8 is, a, is scripture applied to that. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So wrap your finite minds around this one because of our limited abilities for love. You say you don't love somebody anymore. Right? You can't love them all. She went out and did this, or he went out and did that, or he said this, or he said that. And then you deny love to that person or deny loving them. Here it comes. You deny God. You say, well, that's not true. Well, yes, it is true. I just read it to you, and this comes out of God's word. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So you deny being able to love someone for something they may have trespassed um, in your yard, stepped on your roses, or let their dog poop in your grass, or let their cat come and dig in in the kid's sandbox and peed and poop in there, and you get tired of it, and, and you can't find anything, or... Maybe it's a family member, a cousin, or whatever, and you get mad at them and say, you know, I just can't love you anymore. You're just so, you're so this, and you're so that, and you're so this, and you're so that, and you dump all this stuff on them. But the reality is that you're the one that doesn't have the love, and quite honestly, you put out this litany of excuses of why you can't love them because of things that they're doing, I better get back in and in retrospect take a look at that because the shortcomings are not theirs. The shortcomings are yours. Denying them and saying that you cannot love them is in reality saying that you won't love them. And if you won't love them, then you are absolutely... Denying God. And the Bible said so right there. I'm not making this stuff up. This is not, you know, this is not my podcast. This is God's podcast and he's allowing me to utilize a platform and gave it to me to be able to share the word. And I don't make stuff up. I've already told you that. What I share is the truth of God and his word. And what the Holy Spirit gives to me to share. Because it's an important word. And my validation comes from God. It doesn't come from you. So here we go. I don't care. So we're told already that God's love is limitless. Boundless. Bottomless. There there is no no getting past that. So much so. That becoming Jesus Christ. And coming to this earth as anointed of God as a man because he was born as a man he walked as a man temptations were presented before him as a man <clears throat> however the authority that he had also because demons recognized him where others did not and they said well who are you demons on the spiritual plane of existence, recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. This is why it's very important you pay attention to what is said in Philippians and Ephesians when we're told that we are the, the battle is for our very souls, and that it is waged on a spiritual plane of existence that you you can only know of and realize and believe if you believe that Jesus came for you. He was crucified for you. You have faith in God and you believe in the Holy Spirit. You believe the Holy Spirit to guide your steps. If you don't believe in any of that, then you're not going to know about the spiritual plane of existence and the warfare that goes on for our very soul. This is what I talk about. Perishing, a lot of people have a misconception. They talk about, oh, when you perish, you die or you, you die here. No. No. That's death. That's on, the, on our plane of existence. You die. You starve to death, you die. You get shot a certain place, you die. But I'm talking about perishing, the eternal separation from God, your loved ones, and not going to the kingdom of heaven. That's perishing. And that is what the demons that move through this plane of existence that we're not allowed to see, because I guarantee you, if God allowed us to see it, It would frighten you worse than the most horrific Hippokerwood production you can imagine. When I was younger, one of those productions was Jaws. I used to swim out to the mile buoy with my buddies all the time. And then seeing that woman who was out there and seeing her banged up against that bell buoy and we used to go out there and grab onto it, climb on and try to rock it back and forth to make the bell ring. And after seeing that film and never ventured past the kelp bed, and that was even too far. That was even too far. My oceanic swimming experiences became limited. Why? Because I was frightened. Now, you take that and multiply that exponentially and continue multiplying it, the fear from what's going on out in that plane of existence that we are not allowed to see. And why doesn't God allow that? Because he loves us so much and he knows that our hearts would be troubled and we would be frightened. God protects us with his love. And as I've shared with you, he allowed for whatever reason he had, I'm not going to try to figure it out, but he's visited me with members of the heavenly host on several occasions which is so fantastical it's it's <laughs> I sometimes still have trouble wrapping my head around it but I believe that it's possible and I believe in fact that he did do this So I know that my angelic protector is with me because God allowed me to see this visage of that being at my bridge crossing where the demons come or they try to cross. And he is there. But he doesn't just stand there and hold his hand up. Let me tell you, let me share this with you. And some of you might go get into the naysaying and negativity. That's fine. Because here again, I'd say, I don't care. I know where my validation comes from and I don't need yours, quite honestly. If that hurts your feelings, well, sorry about that. But again, I don't care because now you're trying to make your problem my problem. If you don't believe and the spirituality and the truth that God sets down here and brings to you, then that is indeed your problem. Don't make your problems other people's problems. And that, in fact, is what the issue is on this plane of existence that we're on right now. So many are trying to make their problem others' problem and they don't try to rectify any issues that are going on within themselves. They just like dumping on other people. That's the easier thing to do. What's the easiest for you to take the kitchen garbage can and go out and go through the garage and around the house into the garbage can and dump it out or open up the kitchen window and just dump the pail out and then put it back where it was under the sink. Interesting, but in fact, it's a very <laughs> I think that's a very accurate picture. What's easier for you that you take your garbage and you put it away? and you get rid of it, or that you just dump it on whatever's easiest. And most people on this plane of existence, like dumping it on somebody else and putting the blame on somebody else because that makes them feel stronger. It makes them feel better. And then they can have other people join in and chime in with them and look at that person and start to examine them when that person actually had no fault. Ah, thank you, Holy Spirit. Now let's go around in a little bit of a circle, shall we? Let's go see the tribunal that was established because the jury, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees predominantly, the majority of the Pharisees. Remember, there were there were a couple. Nicodemus was a an, a, a leader. He was an exalted teacher. They. And he had some following that believed in what he was trying to share. And what he was trying to share was the possibility that there is more to God than what they have read and what they have learned. And that that's very real because as we read the scriptures today, that is very much the case that we need to go into that with our faith and our spiritual eyesight and hearing. And this is what Nicodemus was already exploring. And he was actually alienated and ostracized by many, um, predominantly the Sadducees, because they believed in only the written law, and the law is the law, and the law is the law. And that's the way they were. But at any rate, let's go to this tribunal that was demanded of the Jews for the Roman authority, and they thought, oh, if we can get them to accuse Jesus through the Roman authority, then he's done for. and We get this done and over with, and we get rid of him, and they'll take him away to Rome, and they'll do what they want. Well that sort of backfired. Why? Because despite what individuals would think about Pontius Pilate and the washing of his hands and all this and that, there were, there were many things that I, and lessons that were, were given and, and things that were taking place about Pontius Pilate and the tribunal and Jesus is being brought before him. But here's the thing that many overlook Yeah, the Romans beat him up and they did their thing. But he also stopped them from going too far. But the thing of it is that the Romans really took to crucifixion and they they did some horrendous things and their tortures. They, um, for lack of a better Description, they perfected these things. They became very, very good at it. But here's the thing. Pilate, who was the regent of the time, which makes him a very, very important person, and quite honestly, the only person he had to answer to was Caesar. He had no one else above him. There was no one above Pontius Pilate. He was a regent. He only had to explain himself to Caesar, period. And when the Pharisees in their little gathering, their little crooked group, they took Jesus before him, they demanded that he be put on trial and crucified. When Pilate questioned him, And he spoke with him, and Jesus was very limited in what he had to say to Pilate, but Pilate saw something. Pilate saw something. And I believe, I wasn't there, but I'm feeling this, and I believe this is coming from the Holy Spirit. Pontius Pilate, much the way the demons recognize his authority without having to be presented to him nobody introduced him to them they knew who he was his authority preceded Jesus everywhere he went when he encountered demons those on the spiritual realm and plane of existence they knew who he was they know who he is don't ever forget I think this is the best example when Jesus came and lit off the boat and saw the man who had wandered in the tombs. And if you read the story, they had tried to tackle him. They tried to tie him down. They tried to chain him. He broke the chains. He broke all the bonds. He ran around naked and he would just, he'd hurt people really badly. They tried to put their hands on him and he'd toss him. But when Jesus approached, he fell to the ground and the demons cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ anointed of God and said Jesus thou son of God what have you what have we to do without we know who you are did you come to destroy us and Jesus commanded their response who are you Tell me your name. We are legion, for there are many. This man was possessed by many demons. But they all recognized Jesus' authority. Because Jesus, despite the physicality that he had, and here as a man, he also had that spiritual authority that preceded him wherever he went. Demons recognized this. Man did not because of their finite mind and their lack of spiritual sight. So let's digress back to this tribunal that they brought. I believe that Pontius Pilate, not saying he was possessed, but he saw something. And why was that? Why do you suppose that was? I'm going to share with you what I believe was the reason. He saw something because his wife, Although she was very acquiescent to what he was doing and his position and his authority, what he had to do there, she also had the desire for learning about the Lord. And she had gone to teaching John the Baptist and his words, and, and she shared that with her husband, Pilate this started to work in his mind and in his heart and going. And I believe she convinced him. But he went out and he stood before Jesus. And Jesus, you have to understand something about this. these things. And so many people, and, and you even have pictures, and I believe those depictions are all hogwash. Jesus didn't come over with his head down and sort of, half uh, posture and, you know, sniveling No, I don't believe so. My perspective is that Jesus still walked in and when Pilate was talking to him, he held his head up and he looked back at him. I don't believe that he held his head down and was like, oh, please don't hit me, please don't hit me, don't hit me, don't hit me. He'd already been beat up enough because the temple guards that were uh, that were escorting him from the garden and took him to the the temple and where they questioned him first, they beat him up pretty good already. Pilate actually questioned them on that. They didn't like that, but that was his authority to do so. He questioned why he was already beat up so bad when they brought him there. But I believe that Pilate looked at Jesus. Jesus held up his head, and, and but limited response to him because of his, his directives and questions. Jesus' authority, he didn't have to. And Pilate's response to the members of the Sanhedrin that came before him said, I find no fault in this man. No reason that we should crucify him. We find no reason to do so. I find no reason to do so. And this thing that so many grab onto when Pilate washes his hands in the basin um, they tend to forget the little speech that he gave to the jury that were there. And as he did so, and he just shook his hands off and he dried him, he said, I wash my hands from this because I find no fault in this man. I find no guilt in him. You want him crucified, you crucify him, and his death will be on your hands and on your heads. Put it right back in their lap, wear it. <laughs> rightfully belong, really, because Paul uh Pilate was Pilate was actually gonna let him go, and that's what they were afraid of. And understand after they crucified Jesus, they went after all the apostles and disciples. They chased them down, hunted them down. They threw Peter in prison, Peter was in prison, the angel came and kicked him in and said, Hey, get up, we're leaving. And much like the life groups and the small groups that are in churches, where did they end up? The angel took him outside the prison and Peter started walking and he ended up at Mary's house. Why? Because they were having a prayer meeting there. And ever since they arrested Peter, they were on prayer and they were praying constantly. Knocked on the door and they said, hey, Peter's here. They said, nah, he's in prison. That can't be. It's probably his spirit. He kept knocking, knocking. They let him in and it was him. But here's the thing. Until we see so many things, and we see it, the physicality in front of our face, like what well, they had this old uh, this old adage, seeing is believing. No, it's not. That's contrary to Christian belief. Christian belief: seeing is not always believing. Sometimes you can't see things, but you have faith in your heart. You don't see the the jet mechanics the aeronautics that are going on to keep that jet airplane in flight you don't see those technicians but you believe them you believe in them and you get on that airplane you fly you don't see the pilot you might see him get on how do you know he's flying that plane you don't you just believe it so oh i've been doing this for years i know how do you know you ever go up in the cockpit while he's in flight up there Did you know that airplanes have autopilot and sometimes they take a coffee break and the plane is flying itself? Hello? Did any of you know that? Am I frightening you? Uh, Maybe that's an intent. Think about it, brothers and sisters. Things that you can't see or don't see may very well frighten you. This is why God doesn't allow us to see what goes on in that spiritual plane of existence that goes on around us all the time doesn't allow that because he knows it's a frightening place he knows it's a frightening place for us to be in our finite minds and our abilities if it's difficult for us to see and we break down God's protecting us so back to that biblical equation for God's love infinity plus 10 plus 2 plus 1 Equals God's love. And what is that 10? How about the 10 commandments? 10 commandments. The first four of the 10 commandments are showing us how to love him. First in John, we, we found his infinite love. And seeking to show us how we should love, he gave us the Ten Commandments, and the first four show us how to love him. And you can find that in the book of Exodus. Flipping back there, sorry, I should mark these when I did not. In Exodus 21 through 17, remember that. Uh, <laughs> The Jews are so funny Uh, when they came out there. They wanted to get out of bondage and all that, and they wanted to follow Moses, and he took them out. And then they started griping because they didn't get everything they wanted. That's silly. And Exodus chapter 20 is when God's on the mountain. And he's telling Moses, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Money, estates, cars, jewelry, all these possessions and all the money that people, and God we trust, but now we're instead of putting that and being reminded of how this country started, because it was based on faith and on God, how that has become many of our gods. Money, currency. In that God they trust. And there they put their heart. That's sad. There's coming a time where it's (laughs) going to be more difficult. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything, that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. And many made graven images. The golden calf was one, was destroyed when Moses came back down off the mountain. And because of Aaron's cowardice, uh, they convinced him into making that for them, collected all their jewelry and everything that they had, and melted it down and poured the golden calf. Then they started worshipping the golden calf. Why? Because it was one of the images that was worshipped in Egypt. Thou shalt not bow down thyself, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation and then that hate me. But showing mercy unto thousands that love me and keep my commandments. So he tells us how to love him, but then he also tells us how we're supposed to love others. And that we're supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We're supposed to show them compassion and kindness. In Matthew 22, It talks about these things and how we're supposed to love one another, love our neighbors, and show compassion to them. This is what we have to be wary of because many of us will say one thing. We we talk, what do they call it? They call that the natives, my heritage, my ancestors, to call it speaking with a forked tongue, which essentially is the same thing. And politicians are said to speak out of both sides of the mouth at the same time. What's that mean? Ah, They're speaking with a forked tongue. They're not speaking the truth. What they do is they tell one group of people one thing on this side. Then they turn around and they go visit another group and they tell them something completely different or opposite. But the other first group doesn't necessarily hear that unless they happen to go and they're privy to the second gathering, might have been invited, and they hear the lies. Happens all the time. Constantly happening. Politicians practice that. I think they're taught that in school. At any rate, let's not go there. Let's stay here. Let's stay in the Word of God because politicians actually are very disturbing to me. Politics. They do so many terrible things to the people. I'm going to have to answer for it. I pray for them that they repent. So in Matthew 22 and 37, let jump over here, Jesus said unto him, See because this is um, this is one of the the Pharisees and this is fun because <clears throat> they always try to entrap Jesus and they think that they're so smart. <clears throat> Pardon me, so here you have one of the Sadducees <laughs> It's funny because the Sanhedrin were, I've shared this with you before, they're actually split. You have the Sadducees and then you have the Pharisees. And this is kind of funny because we're going to digress. We're going to go back up here to verse 34, actually. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they came together. They said, oh, Jesus shut his mouth. You've got to see this and then one of them which was a lawyer asked him a question tempting him and saying master see they're, they're very what's the word for that they're very they're very condescending because when they called him that they they didn't have any real intent it was a way of them being sarcastic and smart mouthed oh master which is a great Greatest commandment in the law. Notice, this was a, a, in the law. And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. I remember this. This is an important passage there. Because we're told, and this is repeated many times, Paul writes this down be of like mind, meditate on the word of God, meditate on the love of God. Meditation is just thinking, putting that in your mindset and having it in your, and I have heard, oh, I'm not into that meditation stuff. Meditation stuff is told us in the Bible to meditate on the word of God, meditate on God day and night. Meditation is just a thought process. It's not sitting down in the lotus position with the legs cross clear up behind your, your shoulders and your thumb touching the middle finger of your hand and sitting there chanting something. That's not what meditation is about. Meditation is simply getting to a quiet place, sitting down and focusing your thought process on God. <clears throat> that's all that's about. Or on certain scripture because you're in the word of God. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? No man was able to answer him a word. Neither does any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Well, without raising his voice, without hollering at him to prove his point, without screaming in their face and getting into a big argument, the spirit of Jesus and his authority spoke straight. He looked at them. And I believe that Jesus at at these particular points in time was standing in the middle of, sometimes I see this portrayed, but I see it very much this way. They like themselves to be above others, to be over people, That's what they liked. And it's shared in the scripture that they always like the best seats. They like the elevated seating. They like to be where they can at gatherings to get the first fruit of the food and everything that's served the best of everything. So when Jesus appeared to them, I believe they gathered their seats around but they were somewhat elevated, almost like a, not quite like an amphitheater, but maybe in the mini scale. And the seats were semi-circle around them so the person would have to stand centered and feel nearly surrounded, but that the seats were somewhat elevated so that they were actually, even in the bottom row, they were looking down, downward toward the person that they had. I, I believe that's the way they were because their attitudes were very much that way. Maybe I should research that. Not that it's that important. But that's the way they were. That was their attitude. But our Lord put them immediately in their place. They thought that they were going to trap him. And one was a lawyer and thought that he was so skillful in his wording. But actually was dumbfounded and couldn't respond. And then when Jesus questioned them in return, they couldn't respond. They had no answer. And they immediately were shut up, couldn't respond, and they didn't bother asking him any more questions because they learned that his authority was much higher than theirs. So when we combine, if you combine that we love our Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And we focus on that. We meditate on that. Yes, you meditate on it. It means you think about it. Get in a quiet place. Get in your favorite recliner. Sit back so you almost go to a nap time if, you, if that need be. And that's, But get some place where you have no disturbance from the outside and you can just think about God. And then maybe even pick up the Bible or put on some nice music and you think about that. I have to practice that more more than what I do. And you get away, and you get into that. So when you put the two together, loving Lord, with all our heart, soul, and mind, loving our neighbor the best we can, you put those two together. So, that means one love, one word, and that, that word is love. But it's very difficult to do because when Jesus was talking to the disciples when they came to the shore and he was fixing them breakfast and Peter had already denied him three times and all this, and and uh, and Jesus had already been crucified and he appeared on the shore and they didn't even know who he was at first. And then Peter said, hey, that's our Lord, I'm, I'm going. And he jumps out and he starts going to shore and then they landed the boat and they were over there. And then Jesus had three questions for him. Asked him three times, do you love me? Peter was firm and firm and firm and then finally he said, you know, I love you. And he broke down and he wept. Because he realized that he had already denied Jesus, who he had walked with for, had walked with him for three years. And then he was crucified. And after all that time that he spent with him, he denied him. Denied being with him. Denied knowing him. Denied caring about him and denied that he was a disciple. A student. Three times. And three times Jesus asked him to love him. I'd be pretty powerful. Are we Peter? Are we practicing being more like Peter instead of being like Jesus? There are certain organizations and they have groups that practice being like disciples or followers and that, and they actually pray to them. That's pretty... That's bottom line, period. That's idol worship, idol worship. When you have a graven image that's made to someone else and you worship and pray to that and you make prayers to those individuals and not to God and you worship those individuals instead of God, you are idol worshiping and you are practicing satanic rituals. Bottom line, plain and simple, that's in the Bible. If you get offended, get your knickers in a twist, get all knotted up so you can't sit comfortably, guess what? I don't care because the validation comes from heaven. And that's spoken truth right here in the word of God. And I just shared it with you. In the book of Exodus, thou shalt have make no graven images or worship them of anything that flies, crawls, walks under the sea, above the sea, in the sky. You don't do that. And yet, There are certain organizations that do that very thing. They have images of the various disciples and they create saints. Here's the thing, the word of God. If you pray and you worship God and you believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God and you have faith in God and you let the Holy Spirit guide your steps, guess what? You're a saint and God makes you that. Not some organization that's come has to bonk you on the head with a little magic wand and throw stuff in your face and, and smoke all around you with a censer and then declare that you're a saint. God makes you a saint. And we're told that when you read about the prayers and you pr- read about us, If you're going to notice something, that the word saint is never in a singular form. Never in a singular form. It's all about saints, plural. Why? Because we are all saints in the eyes of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have faith in him, and you follow the Holy Spirit, and you pray, and you worship God as we're supposed to. We are all saints. And it's the book of Revelation. I share this with you. This vision was given to John on the island of Patmos. The only disciple who wasn't crucified, by the way. Or only martyred. They imprisoned him on the island of Patmos. Now let's go back and explore something. I'm going to throw this out there. Um, Some don't realize, but there were a couple Johns that followed and all this stuff. But one of them was, in particular, Jesus' brother, in fact. Our cousin. Anyway, they were related. In an earthly form of relationship. And... I believe that that person on the island of Patmos was that person because his writing is very much slimmer to the other and there is no separation for them. Just my matter of perspective, I would need to read that more and become sure and positive about that. But in the vision that was given to John while he was on Patmos is that the prayers of the saints plural God saves our prayers in golden vials in his temple why because it is a sweet savor unto his nostrils it's as if it were incense and God opened a little bottle and he could smell it's like a, a scented perfume that was just sweet And he loves the fact that we pray. And we direct those to him. He saves our prayers. And you don't have to be bonked on the head with a sensor or some little wand. And you don't have to have this incense spread all around your face until you're coughing and gagging and crying like you got gassed. Which is a place to do. Just... Be cautious and meditate and worship God only, Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's it, and don't forget that those three are in one. Let's see if I pronounce it. Perichoresis, I believe, is the pronunciation. The three are bound together as one. So you have to understand that this love that we're told to, to share is not just um, just any kind of love similar to the worldly love that takes place that we throw around all the time. It's not like loving a certain rock band or a certain restaurant or a certain kind of car or a certain place to go on vacation or trip or whatever. That's not that. The love of God is agape love. Unconditional. Putting others above self. Others are central. And importantly, too, is that we need to ensure that they're God centered, which means that we share the Word of God with others. And that must be the priority. And the thing that we always seem to forget too is to let people know that we love them. And I have done that very thing. But what's really awesome, what's really beautiful is also in spite of or despite what took place with my eldest son's mother, my failing and walking where I should have been and taking care of her as I should have done, being led astray by listening to the words of mammon instead of the words of God and the truth. But the beautiful thing is love in her heart for God, the Father, and the forgiveness, her mom and dad, the forgiveness and love. One of the greatest experiences I ever had, we went to listen to one of my favorite teachers, and they also loved the man so I got us entry into a local arena where we could go see him live and in person. And it was a beautiful thing to share. It was beautiful. I loved it. So we were worshiping God and seeing him move. And that, that place was filled and people were raising their hands and praising God. There had been a few thousand people there. At least this was this was an inside arena, but it was the size of a football stadium. I mean, you could have a lot of people and they were worshiping God. Awesome. You have a blessed day. You are in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in?